Hi, I'm Mark Renner. This is Victory Over Sin. Good Saturday afternoon to you. My name is Mark Rennick. This is Victory Over Sin. First part of the show, we attempt to share with you exactly what we're attempting to do and who pays for it. Victory Over Sin is a, a advocacy project out of the Southwest Council for St. Vincent de Paul here in the Treasure Valley. And what we attempt to do to you, with that program and this program, if you will, is to educate you, the Idahoan, about what it's like to be on parole to come out of the system, and to live on parole. There are several issues that we think are important, and we do that in many different ways, but one of them is this radio show. It's actually been going for about three and a half years now. If you go back to the archives of KBXL or St. Vincent de Paul, Idaho, or IMSI Hope Community Phase 2, you'll see the, the past shows in archive fashion. You can look up all sorts of topics in there. We've had politicians on there. Had people come out of prison the first day and be on the radio program. Uh, we've had directors of Department of Corrections on there. We've had some national figures on there. We'd like to think of it as a good body of work, if you will, for um, corrections in the state of Idaho. It could be a good resource for you. So we look forward to that. Go back and take a look at the archives. You might learn something. In addition to that, what we also do is pre-COVID, we have a, a PowerPoint presentation that we bring to your um, church group, to your business group, to any kind of group that you would like to for us to speak to. It's about a 20-minute PowerPoint presentation. The great thing about this is that it is led by a returning citizen themselves. So they present the PowerPoint and then they answer questions. Anything you want to understand and learn about the Department of Corrections, we're anxious to get back to that. I think maybe at some point in time we're getting closer and closer to the fact where we'll be able to do those again. Those are some of the things that we do. In addition to that, uh, you would probably know that we have an office now that we moved our office to a new location, uh, 3217 West Overland in Boise. Uh, that's in between Lataw and Vista Boulevard. Uh, it's associated with the food bank next to St. Vincent de Paul. We've got that administration building. In that location, what we're doing there is to greet people the first day out and the first day out only. So if you're just out, we just come here and give you the resources and kind of connect you on with your day. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we have other programs that are support the person who's come out of incarceration. And we've taken some of those people and moved them down to a Fairview location. We like the concept of this because if you think about it, as you get out of incarceration, pretty much the only thing you need is just a few things right away. And we found when everything was in the same building, people got overwhelmed with all the information we were giving them. So we're trying to make it simple. We're trying to do it better. And we're excited about the future in that location. In addition, you will probably, um, we're excited to announce that we finally made the push to officially go into Canyon County. We're going to be operating out of the St. Vincent de Paul thrift store over there. It's at 3719 Caldwell Boulevard. Uh, we're open and going there in a limited fashion. I want to say 9 to 12 
If you go in there, you're going to be able to get the same type of information and support that we've been offering over here for a few years. We're excited about this. We've got some great new people involved with that. And in, in the next few weeks, we'll bring one, of the, one or two of those people in to introduce them to you. So we're excited about moving into Canyon County. Uh, in addition, we're looking at in the future for actually making some transition to uh, Twin Falls. So we're going to take over the bulk of where people are coming uh, in releasing from prison with the majority of the people. And we're looking forward to all those things. It's going to be a good 2024. Uh, we're going to talk today about some advocacy efforts with a friend of mine, and that's going to be exciting. We're going to get right back with you in just a second. The Idaho Justice Project is a new statewide nonpartisan organization to improve Idaho's justice system. Idaho has the third highest rate of people under corrective control in the entire country. Idaho's jails and prison are beyond capacity, but most are there for nonviolent crimes like drug addiction or probation and parole violations. The Idaho Department of Corrections spent over $309 million in 2020. 37% of people released from prison in 2016 reoffended within three years. 62% of Idaho's yearly prison admissions are for a probation or parole violation, the highest rate in the country. The average probation term in Idaho has grown by 109% since 2000. As of June 30th, 2020, there were over 17,000 Idahoans on probation or parole. One out of every 38 adults is on probation in Idaho. For more information on how you can help and get involved with the Idaho Justice Project, go to 3217 West Overland Road, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to noon, and ask for Mark. Okay, I'm excited to have Chris Meacham in uh, studio today. Chris is a grassroots advocate. He's most specifically working now with a group called Recovery Advocacy Project. Welcome, Chris. Thank Thanks, for, Mark. It's great to be here. Yeah, that's good. We should have had you on for a while. You do all sorts of good things. Tell us a little bit about your birthplace and background, perhaps, for us. Oh, I was born in Idaho Falls um, in 1965 to very young parents. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Idaho Falls in Logan, Utah. I uh, came from a, a very faithful uh, home of, you know, all my ancestors are Mormons. That's how we got here. So, mm -hmm. so um, you know, Boy Scout when I was a kid, uh, all, that, all that normal stuff. All that good stuff. Right. And so did you go away to college or do anything like that? Or No. Actually, my, my family's kind of blew apart when I was uh, 14 years old. And my parents divorced, and I ended up living in Sweden with my dad for about a year. In Sweden? Yeah. Wow. How about that? What was that like? It was beautiful. I bet. Because, you know, we, we talk about, uh, Chris and I both work in certainly the field of advocacy, but also in people who have been incarcerated. And I know the models over there are just... People are super excited about Sweden and what's going on. But at what age were you in Sweden? 14, 15. Oh, yeah, so it was. Came back and we, my mom had moved to Boise. So, so uh, I went to high school here and, um, and ended up uh, running away from home when I was 17 and going to Los Angeles. Okay. Came back when I was 29. But you ran afoul of the system here in Idaho at some point in time? You know, I think that I was possessed by that that substance use thing from a very early age and and a lot of my acting out was really just acting on what that was and mm -hmm. and yeah i found myself a foul of the law when i was what 34 years old mm -hmm. with a possession of methamphetamine charge and that uh put you in drug court is that what we're saying and gave you a rider is that what that was that's the one that gave me a rider yeah yeah but tell us about that um if you don't mind cottonwood's lovely you know yeah, it's a nice <laughs> 
I, I'd never really seen bluebirds before that, and and I guess the experience is whatever you make of it. I, I was that should fortunate. be that should be the slogan for Cottonwood. <laughs> you ever seen a bluebird come to Cottonwood? Oh, that's good. We should there, do that. There was a nice view. There was a lot of snow. Um, there wasn't much of a program, so so the underlying issues of my substance use disorder weren't really addressed in any significant way. But I got to you know hang out and run to the library and and find a way to be useful there. How many? How long were you up there? Six months. Six months, and then you came back. Went before. If people don't know it, your uh, the rider program is such that. Uh, the judge retains jurisdiction over your charge and says, look, we're going to test you out. You're going to send you up to Cottonwood for six months, and you're going to come back before me, and then we're going to talk about what we do with your future. Right? right. So suddenly you're back in front of the judge, and what did the judge say to you? The judge released me on probation. Okay. You know, and that worked great for, it was supposed to be five years, and it worked great for four and a half years. Uh, and then I found myself absconding from supervision and in, in, in the possession of my substance use disorder again. Okay. And then what happened as a result of that? Oh, I uh, I dragged myself to rehab. Okay. Um, so I was at the I was at the Walker Center uh, oh, when my sentencing judge showed up um, to be there during family week with his son. <laughs> so <laughs> so he immediately uh, came back to Boise and issued a warrant for my arrest. <laughs> uh, being in the right place at the right time. Right. So we did another seven years on probation and successfully completed that. Um, just long enough for me to decide that I wanted to pick up using again. Did the walk, tell me about the walker because uh, I left against medical reasons there at one point in time. <laughs> so uh, I assume you completed the program. I I did. Um, I I'm the kind of guy that responds really well to treatment. You mm-hmm. know, I uh, once I start using, I find it very difficult to stop. But if you put me in an environment where I I get adequate treatment for my substance use disorder and 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 some tools for dealing with the way my head works. Uh, I can pull together years and years and years at a time without picking up. Mm. And so what, uh, obviously you're doing well now, What's what's been the situation that's made that work for you? I, I stay of service. You know, mm. I stay involved with people who are in early recovery. I make sure that I'm surrounded by other people who are sharing the path with me. I run sober housing and I stay involved with advocacy work for people in recovery. I never let the part of my story where I ended up broken be too far from my consciousness. And that's how you got started after that AmeriCorps and Vista. Was that the lead into all that? Was that it or is that, where are we with that? I guess my question is. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I, um, I know that, I know that when I'm working with people in early recovery and when I'm, I'm like working close to my values that it makes my life easier. I stay happier. I'm not super concerned about making a ton of money because money can, I don't know, finance is spectacular misery. I agree with that. And I'd rather be happy. Yep, I assume. And I think that's, that's a, do you find that the same for everybody or you think that's just for you? I don't want to put my values on other people, but mm-hmm. I think I think for most people that's probably true. Mm-hmm. It's a, so it almost is an example for people that kind of. I think it's a spiritual truth that when we serve other people, our lives work out better. Totally agree with you. Uh, I know that when I first heard your name, et cetera. You were, a develop, you were in charge of a director of operations for a recovery center. There's nine of those across the state. Uh, that was, I know, um, I, I saw your name doing that. And I thought, wow, that's, that's impressive. Um, what was that like running with them? Um, it's like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
sometimes what I think I do is like. I mean, it was great. It was a wonderful experience, and and I, I am so I'm grateful that I had it. I wouldn't want to do it again. Don't you think? I, I, it's so. Um, I try not. You don't get callous, but you do get to where you got a sense about people as they come in the door, and um, it's. I have to watch that bias, and for me, when people come in, and it's like. Anything I say is not going to change anything you're doing, but okay, good luck with that, and I'll be here when you get back the next time. It's kind of, do you get that, or did you pick oh, yeah. it? Yeah, because it's like, oh, man, I can see you. You're a train wreck. And it's uh, uh, and, it, and I have a staff, too, that wants to always help, 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 and you just got to say, uh, let's take a deep breath on this one and give them, like, here, and then they'll be back. I promise they'll be back. So one of the main, main ideas in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is that if we – hold on to our old ideas that we don't get great results. And I find that whenever that, that bias rears its head, Mm -hmm. I have to work really consciously at letting it go because the truth is I think everybody has, has should have the opportunity to recover. Absolutely. But (laughs) well, I think what I find is like, I understand that you're going to go your own path to figure that out. And I have some definite ideas on which way you should do it, but I have to be real quiet here and, back away and let other people grow and push other people to kind of assist them. Right. But it's, it, I find that the more I do this, um, I don't know where I get, it's not callous, I hope, but it, it, you know that you're, you see things clearer, quicker, Right. I guess is what what's comes across. And so I find it interesting and frustrating at the same time. And I don't want to ever presume to, to stand in the way of somebody and the thing that makes them broken enough to reach out for help. Absolutely, absolutely. And you got to almost, let, it's real hard to say, yeah, you got to do that. Okay, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I love you. I'm kicking you out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we had to do that yesterday too. The guy was in the office and he was just insistent that he should have a phone. And he just had not gone through the process to get that. And it's like I could see one of my staff wavering, wanting to give him the phone. I said, no, man, this is, <laughs> there's a rule here. And you know, you chose, you made some steps when you got out of incarceration. You topped your time. You didn't get out on parole. Now you're in the spot. And so do this, this, and this, and come back, and then we'll get you the phone. Right. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to yield for you, you know? And so it's like, and the staff members look at me like, what a jerk you are. <laughs> and it's like, no, he's just, you know, he made choices to get here. We all right. made choices to get there. Right. When you were associated with that group too, I noticed that you did a trip back to Washington, D.C. And it looked like an interesting uh, event, the way you were portraying it on social media at least. Tell me about that group and what that was about. That was for the Addiction Policy Forum. I had been... I had organized an International Overdose Awareness Day event as my community project for drug court, and that kind of got the attention of some people in Washington who thought that was cool, and I was cool, and um, invited me back there to to like speak with legislators about making sure that the CARES Act was fully funded, um, which was money that goes to recovery support services all mm-hmm. over the country. What was that like talking to federal people, uh, federal politicians, I would say? You know, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity, and I will say that the people in Mike Simpson's office were were wonderful to talk to, that they asked intelligent, insightful questions and were engaged in the process. That's good. Yeah, because I think I found that too. I had to do it for another group where I've gone back for um, to Washington every year for a couple of years, and it, I, they listen to you, at least right. our delegates, but uh, it's like they're really not engaged so much as, uh, as they probably should be. But I was overwhelmed by the intensity of the federal system in terms of politicians when you go in those offices. Oh, yeah. I just, unbelievable. It's, 
And when you realize that like all the power in our country is located in that, that small geographic area right. and all of the history of our country is like collected in those museums and, and that it's, you can touch all of it. Yeah. You know, it's really kind of amazing. I, you know, I grew up in the West. I am far away from the East Coast history and I walked into the Museum of American History and the first exhibit that you see is the Star Spangled Banner exhibit. Right. And you go through this whole like kind of interpretive process of learning how the flag was made and what was mm. going on with the War of 1812 and then and you turn a corner and the Star Spangled Banner is laid out in front of you and I burst into tears. You know, we have a mutual friend, Norma Yeager, who told me that's the place you need to go and I didn't go either trip. But that's good that you made that. Yeah, good for you. Um, so let's talk about the Recovery Advocacy Project, which I think this is your second year with us. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we are an organi- a national organization that tries to make sure that, that grassroots tools are available to any, anyone who wants to organize to help support recovery services. So I've been with it trying to organize in Idaho for the last two years, like you said. And um, there are there are some, some bills coming up in front of the Idaho legislature that I think will directly impact our ability to provide direct peer support services to people all over the state. You want to talk about that one? That you want to talk about? Oh, one, one in particular is uh, House Bill 315, which uh, there's opioid settlement money coming in. Mm-hmm. And for money to come in, there has to be a plan for how to use it. And the legislature has decided that they want to... Uh, put that all in the um, advice advice of the Idaho Behavioral Health Council. Mm-hmm. Um, the legislature later I spoke to seems to think that they want to spend all that money in one year. Um, it's millions of dollars. And my feeling is that the Idaho Behavioral Health Council should be looking at putting that in a trust, a trust. kind of like the Millennium Fund. Like they did for the Millennium Right. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to make sure that recovery community, community centers and organizations have some basic funding for the next hundred years. Yep. That makes sense, some sense. What do you think are the possibilities of that with the way we're going with everything? I think that the behavioral health council are very bright people. And I think that they are committed to making sure that the money's used well. You think they'll have enough time this session? I, you know, if they if they just put the money away till next year, that's fine too. It could be that could be the easiest road to compromise would be right. to put it away. Right. Well, that could be that's something I hope for. So I take it this. So why should we? You're listening. You've got people out there. We want them to. Uh, we're going to give you a telephone number here in a minute to call in and kind of get involved in this. Why should they do that? Uh, you know, everybody in our state knows somebody who has been directly or indirectly impacted by the substance use disorder of somebody that they care about. Mm-hmm. All of us. Um, most of Idaho's incarcerations occur because of a substance use disorder. I'd agree with that. And, and the cost to our communities of people's substance use disorders is incalculable. So the more that we can do to make access to recovery simple and affordable and and easy and not stigmatizing, the better off the results for our whole community will be. And you know, I think that most Idahoans really don't think that any bias that they have toward people in recovery is a bad thing. Um, for Idahoans who think that that addiction is a moral failing, if if they could just reorient their position to it's a health problem, and I'm going to take care of these people the way I would take care of a sick friend. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we're going to get better results. People are going to be more likely to ask for help if they know they're not going to be stigmatized. Don't you think, though, also, um, 
I thought I heard, I heard this figure, and maybe you can dispute whether it's right or wrong, but I think there's 35 million people in the country who are in, are in their active recovery or long-term um, recovery from addiction. And they've become a force in terms politically, in terms of speaking up for themselves. I think a lot of the growth in terms of recovery coaches, peer stuff, has come out of that group. Uh, would you agree with that? And is that uh, something that we're just not quite getting across to Idahoans? Or? I don't think it's Idahoans particularly. Um, I think that, the, you know, that's a complicated question because a lot of people hold their recovery like very privately. privately it's a it's you know they they assemble in church basements and mm-hmm. share their experience with each other and the truth is that they don't talk about their recovery largely because they're ashamed yeah. largely because they're afraid of the way they'll be stigmatized and the the people who are more vocal about their recovery is a relatively new phenomenon right and i think the same along the same lines of uh, breast cancer awareness uh, HIV the more they got those groups got active and involved in the community the more the society became accepting of it so it's almost like we're encouraging people to keep kind of doing that same kind of aspect let's take that step forward if you start sharing more and more about it and get out of the basements of the churches and stuff like that it becomes more acceptable and more normal. Exactly. I mean, the best thing Patrick Kennedy ever did was crash his car in front of the Capitol. Absolutely. So he could no longer hide his substance use <laughs> disorder. He became a huge advocate in that yeah. moment. Yeah, and I think Ryan Leaf, with the, the quarterback, is the same kind of way. And so, exactly. Yeah. So I think the more and more people that do that, uh, uh, the better off we're going to be. So. Well, and, and the people who care about us see that, that when we get the right kind of care, we're just like everybody else. Exactly. Know? That's the kind of the idea that you want to get across anyway, isn't it? Exactly. So is that a byproduct then of, of the uh, Recovery Advocacy Project? That is the that is the main goal of Recovery Advocacy Project. We want to make sure that, that re, we want to make recovery the, the epidemic. Mm-hmm. That people are facing and going forward and addressing and being open and honest with. COVID has been a huge, huge pressure on a lot of people and overdose deaths in our country are up by something like 25, 28% over the year before. And they'd been going up before that. So, so everything we can do to make sure that people aren't afraid to reach out for help is the right thing to do. And the, what we've got coming up, let's talk about the the phone in kind of situation because it's easy to do, right? Right. When's it coming up? Uh, oh, this is yeah, a, a, a uh, we're having a, a community listening session. We want to just get to know more people in Idaho and, and understand what their what their main priorities are in terms of supporting recovery. And that is coming up April 26th at 6 p.m. Yep. And how do I get in touch with that? Um, just visit our website at www.recoveryvoicesidaho.org. And click on the link to sign click up. on the link. Usually, too, what I do with uh, every time Chris does something like that, I tend to move it around in our social media, too. So you'll see it on mine with Systemic Change and with uh, St. Vincent de Paul's stuff. So that's another way to do it. If you're just clicking around and you see those icons, it's really a, an interesting kind of situation to go in on Zoom and kind of see other people who are in the same spot across the state. We just need tons more people to do this and kind of get involved with that, right? Right, exactly. Okay. Um, 
So let's talk about once we got all these guys involved, how are we going to get them excited about going forward and making changes? What will we, how will we do that? You know, I, I, I'm just looking for maybe 10 or 15 people across the state who really care about recovery to help organize in their own areas. Mm-hmm. They have lots of tools available to help, help individual <clears throat> grassroots organizers in individual areas to organize and and I'm happy to provide those resources to anybody and who I think wants. If you're listening to us too, it's also a way for you to really get involved and show your talents and if this is something that you want to do and you feel passionate about, this is an open-ended situation where uh, Chris doesn't have necessarily the exact every answer nor would I if I was on there, but we'll be looking for your input to how it works in your area or an idea that you would have. You know, you could be the next um, superstar to help us make this work, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of a uh, interesting uh, proposition for you to get involved with. But what we want to do is build more leaders across the state. And that's really, that takes, uh, let's talk about the people that come forward and do that. What kind of people would be doing that, you think? It's hard to find those people. It's know? very hard to find those people. You know, I'm looking for, we need people who have about, I don't know, four hours a month free that they want to commit to doing, you know, and they're, <clears> they can, committed any level that they want, whether it's social media organizing or whether it's holding community listening sessions or whether it's somebody who can really pay attention to what's going on in the legislature and, and keep us all advised about what's what's recovery related and in front of our, our elected officials. It comes back full service too, though, to um, getting involved in doing this type of service and how you feel after getting involved with that. So this is truly a way to do that right it really is a a way to like exercise your citizenship you know an engaged citizen is one who's paying attention and and this is a great great opportunity for anybody who really cares about their community i also think too that if say you're sitting here and you're afraid i can't do that i wouldn't do that i wouldn't want to and when you're afraid of something that's it's difficult much like your addiction or like anything else if you walk directly towards it and find yourself with good people around there, you're going to find that network of people that are going to come forward and help you and get you through that. And boy, once you do that, the feeling that you have is almost better than any high that you've ever had. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that's the real powerful thing that we can encourage you. You're listening to us, you know, call Chris or get in touch with me and I'll get you in touch with Chris so that this can be something that you can actually understand, get involved with, and feel this kind and, of feeling, if you will. And make a real impact in your community. Absolutely. Because it's, uh, it's something that's very open-ended. It's not going away. And boy, 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 does it need some help. Right. Yeah. Hey, listen, this was fun. Uh, uh, we'll have to do this again. Um, make sure that you reach out to uh, Chris. If you don't have Chris's information at the end of the show, I'm going to let you know how to reach me, get in touch with me, and I will get you in touch with Chris. It was a pleasure having you on. We should have done this ages ago. This was fun, Mark. Thanks. It was. Okay. Through Jesus, there's victory. All the chains that were holding me kept me locked in captivity. Have been broken by grace so free. When he poured out his cleansing blood, motivated by his great love, give me faith I need to rise above. Sing a song of how I've overcome I've got victory over sin Bringing peace to the fight within Give me strength, I need to start again I've got victory over sin Okay, so we want to thank Chris for that. Uh, Again, I can't say enough about the fact that if 
this is something that in the back of your mind you want to get involved with. Boy, this would be fun. Get forward. Take a chance and come out and let's try that. I'm easy to reach. www.systemicchangeofid.com. And you can actually send me an email, Systemic Change of Idaho. It's all spelled out there at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Systemic Change of ID. We're on Instagram, Systemic Change of ID. Man, you can even call us on the phone if you want to at area code 208-477-1006. Look forward to talking to you next Saturday afternoon on Victory Over Sin.